0: This morning, our Gospel reading comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 3, verses 21 through 22. Hear a word from God. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove and a voice came from heaven which said, You are my son, the Beloved. With you I am well pleased. This is a word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Last week, Scott helped us begin a sermon series that we will be going through over the next few months, entitled Choosing to Be the Church. At UMC Madison, We believe that the church is not a building. It's not the hour that we spend together in this space on Sunday mornings. It is more than that. The church is, in fact, you and me. It is each and every one of us that come into this space and make a choice to be a part of this community of faith. And the power of a church, the impact, the potential impact that a church can actually have in the world around it, it doesn't come from your pastors, believe it or not. It doesn't come from how much money we may have in the bank. It doesn't come from our reputation in the community, though these things can sometimes be advantageous. The real impact and the power that a church can have actually comes when there is a spirit of transformation that is at work here. In each one of our lives, a spirit of transformation that compels us to become people who choose to live lives of love toward one another and the world that we exist in, and it compels us to live in this community with each other and the world different from how we see the world existing around us. During this season of Epiphany, which we are currently in and observing together as a church, We traditionally take this opportunity to retell the stories of Jesus' life, how God showed up in the everyday, ordinary circumstances of it, and how Jesus chose to respond. And we also proclaim in this season that somehow God still does this, that God and the mission of God is still active, it's still showing up, That God still reaches out in the ordinary day to day experiences of our lives and calls us to a purpose. So, over the next few months, we are going to be exploring how it is that we can be attentive to this movement of God in our own lives, what it looks like, how we find it, how we understand what this God thing is that moves in our lives. And then how that movement of God might be calling us to live and love differently. How it might be calling us to make different choices as individuals and as a collective community. But how do we discern the movement of God in our lives? How do we cultivate any kind of awareness of who or what God is and what may be happening and how God might be interacting in the ordinary day-to-day and sometimes difficult circumstances of our lives. Last week, Scott retold us an ancient story in the Bible of three magi who go to find the baby Jesus at King Herod's request. Only when they find this baby, when they find the truth that they are seeking, They choose to take a different route home. They walk away from Herod. They walk away from an empire that ensures their security if they give it their allegiance. They're walking away from this threatening power that might cause them fear and want to walk toward it. They walk away from all these things all because they have this miraculous encounter with God and with truth through an angel and a star and a savior. But I want to back up for a minute, because most often, you and I, we don't get any of that. We don't get a star, we don't get an angel, we don't get the heavens being parted and a word from God coming down in a loud, booming voice and yelling out to us so that we might determine where God is or how God might be showing up in our lives. And so we have to ask ourselves the question, what do we have? What will help us discern this? And ruminating on this question this week, it actually made our scripture text quite a bit more interesting for me. Because we have read the other versions of this story of the baptism of Jesus in the last six months from the other Gospels. And in every one, God does this miraculous thing where the heavens are parted and a big booming voice comes down and declares Jesus as the Son of God. But there's one tiny difference In the Gospel of Luke, and in his telling of the story, it's so tiny that we almost don't even notice it. Jesus is praying when the heavens are open. The Gospel of Luke is the only Gospel of the four that talks about this, that says Jesus was praying. And you might be thinking, well, that doesn't seem all that unusual. It's kind of a teensy detail. It might have been coincidence. We might even say that this is an activity we would expect to see Jesus participating in, not only because, I don't know, Jesus, but because in ancient Judaism, the most devout Jews, they prayed at least three times a day. But when you look at the Gospel of Luke as a whole, more than any other, Luke makes a really big deal out of Jesus' prayer life. He begins the story of Jesus' ministry in this passage with prayer, And he ends the gospel with Jesus on the cross praying. We find Jesus praying before and after some of the most extraordinary miracles and circumstances of his life in chapters 5, 6, 9, and 11. Jesus is praying before he picks the 12 disciples. He's always going out to deserted places to get away by himself and pray. In chapter 18, he's Teaching those who are listening in parables about the importance of prayer. And he makes it, um, his disciples, they make it a point to go to Jesus and to ask him to teach them how to pray personally. We also know that the author of Luke is largely writing to an educated Gentile community that often prioritize the teachings of philosophy and what they must do in their daily life to cultivate wisdom. And so for Luke. This tiny detail about prayer is probably anything but tiny. The author of this book is making the point right out of the gate that this activity of prayer is somehow necessary. That the mission and effectiveness and spiritual life toward wholeness that Jesus led and led other people toward was dependent on prayer. It was at the root of everything Jesus did. It was how Jesus oriented himself to the movement of God in the world. And it had an impact on his identity and on the future of his ministry. And so as people who follow in the way of Jesus, we have to stop and think that maybe this activity of prayer might be important for identifying and knowing God in our lives too. Hans Ruin, who is a professor in Sweden of theoretical philosophy and phenomenology, says this. He says, a believer cannot simply claim to know God, whatever he, she, or it is, without prayer. To show devotion in prayer is literally to seek a God and to establish a relationship with this god the meaning of god it can hardly be determined outside of the space of lived devotion to prayer what this professor is saying is that we cannot claim to even begin to conceptualize this thing called god outside of our human experience and so we need to be creating space in our lives and observing practices that help us become more aware of how this God interacts with us. But what I have noticed is that prayer can be an especially difficult thing for many of us. There is a lot of baggage that comes along with prayer, confusion about it. We don't always know what counts as prayer. We don't always know how to make time for it, or even if we should, because what is it really supposed to do for us? When I was growing up, every night, right before bed, my mom and I would sit down to do our nighttime prayers together. I would get into my pajamas, I would hop into bed under the blanket, my mom would take a seat next to me, and together we would pray a prayer that she taught me. Many of you may know it. Now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep, guard me, Jesus, through the night, and wake me to the morning light. Now, my mom very kindly and appropriately changed the second half of this old prayer that some of you know normally goes like this, if I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. I suspect she saved me a lot of trauma as a child because she did this. But we would pray this prayer, And then my mom would give me the opportunity to pray out loud the names of people I knew that I wanted God to bless. And I would say them out loud. God bless Mommy, Daddy, Katie, Allie, Buddy and Augie, the names of my two favorite stuffed animals, Oma, Opa, Grandma, Grandpa, and so on. There was a kind of rhythm to it. I said the same names in the same order every single week, I could say it at rapid speed. Mommy, Daddy, Katie, Ellie, Buddy, Yogi, Oma, Opa. Super fast because I knew it. I still know it by heart. I could tell you the whole prayer. And sometimes I'd add additional names on at the end of people I had just met or have occasionally forgotten. But I grew up being taught to pray. And I'm actually very thankful for that. I'm very thankful. However, in the years of my nighttime prayers and learning to pray this way, I also developed a couple assumptions about prayer. Some misconceptions about prayer that I don't think my parents meant to teach me at all, but it made my journey as an adult with prayer a bit more difficult. I made three assumptions. Maybe you can resonate with them. The first was that prayer is our way of getting what we want or need out of God. That God somehow orchestrates every single thing that happens in our lives, and if we want something to be different, all we have to do is ask for it, and it will change. Well, I experienced enough disappointing outcomes in my life to realize that prayer most definitely didn't work like that. The second thing that I assumed was that there was a right way to pray. That prayer was almost always a few very carefully crafted formulas that the church came up with. That they always had to be said out loud, and if they weren't said out loud, then my prayers weren't really prayers, and God didn't hear them. And the third thing that I assumed was that prayer could be a substitute for doing good. I could treat Mommy, Daddy, Katie, Allie, Grandma, Grandpa however I wanted throughout the day, so long as I got in bed at night and remembered to pray that God would bless them. And as I grew older, these assumptions, they rocked my prayer world. They caused me to wonder what the purpose was at all. If prayer isn't about me getting what I want, if I can't do it in a way that makes me feel comfortable or that feels authentic to me, and if it isn't going to change anything about how I live or make my life better, then why would I do it? What is the point? And yet, every time difficult things happened in my life, Every time I needed hope or help or healing or answers, prayer was always the first thing that I went back to. Always. It was like a reflex. And so I had to start considering this question seriously. What is prayer? And what is the purpose of it if it's clearly important to the ministry of Jesus? And if I'm supposed to be caring about that, then what does prayer matter for me as an individual and as a community? Well, I heard this old, old story a long time ago about a wise teacher named Rabbi Akiva, and I found myself reflecting on this story again and again this week as I thought about the importance of prayer. This story has been told in renditions for many, many years, different renditions, different details are a little different depending on who you ask. But the basic gist is that Rabbi Akiva was walking home one day, several miles on the same trek, on the same journey that he'd walked a million times before, when he gets lost in thought and he takes a wrong turn. And he only realizes that he took a wrong turn when he comes upon this massive war fortress and there's a guard sitting on top and is yelling down at him, Who are you? And what are you doing here? And the rabbi confused. He asks this guard to repeat himself. I'm sorry, what? And he says, Who are you? And what are you doing here? And after the guard repeats this question a second time, Rabbi Akiva, he responds immediately. It sort of sounds like a retort. He says, well, how much do they pay you to do this? And the guard's a little taken aback, and he answers quickly, well, what do you mean? The rabbi continues to prod, and he says, well, I'm sure you get paid here for being a guard, right? So how much? And the rabbi says, well, or not the rabbi, the guard says, well, ten denarii, Why? And the rabbi, looking up, contemplates this for a moment and he says, I will pay you twice as much if you follow me to my home and you ask me those two questions every morning. Who are you? And what are you doing here? Now the story continued to come up for me as I thought about what I would say about the practice of prayer this week because, in my experience A big part of prayer is reflecting on these two very basic human questions that we ask ourselves all the time. In some sense, prayer doesn't have to be fancy. You've already got resources at your disposal for how to think about prayer, whether you realize it or not. And in my mind, prayer serves at least these two purposes. It helps us ask us the question, Who am I? And what am I doing here? Prayer helps us look inward. It helps us to connect with ourselves, and it reminds us of our identity, of who and whose we are. And it helps us look outward. It challenges us to think about our purpose and our responsibility to the world around us. And these two questions can get really crowded out in our thinking and our day-to-day busyness of life. The first question, who are you? It's the question of identity. As human beings, we are all searching for our identity. We live in a cultural environment that tells us exactly where it thinks we should find our identity. In our jobs, possessions, our political parties, how busy we are or how many people are vying for our attention. How many l- rungs of the ladder we've climbed? How many 4.0s we've received? How many people read our dissertations? How many of the top 50 schools we've gotten into? And most of us, we know the gut-wrenching feeling that happens when any one of these things doesn't work out, and all of a sudden, we don't know what our identity is anymore. In the practice of prayer, we are challenged to look inward and to think about where our real value lies. In Luke 3, we see that as Jesus is praying, the heavens are opened, and God declares grace and value over Jesus before he ever even does anything truly great. And we also read in Isaiah 43 this morning, out of one one of the only texts in Scripture where God is actually depicted as reaching out to the Israelite community in all of their pain, and their shame, and their failure, and their disappointment, when nothing is worked out for them, and God says, I love you. You are precious and honored in my sight, and I am going to come to your defense, and I am going to save you, and I am going to be with you, not because you've earned it, but because you're valued just as you are. Just as Jesus and the Israelites seem to experience in their connection with God and in prayer, practicing prayer, it reminds us in our daily lives to look inward, to connect with our inner life, to quiet the voices all around us that are telling us who we're supposed to be and what we're supposed to achieve. And it reminds us that our value isn't in any of those things. It's not in what we achieve. There's nothing to prove. This is essential for the world that we live in to take time out to recall this. Our value, it's already present. It's already inherent within us because it was breathed into you and into me from the beginning. Our lives, they mean something not because we earn it, but because we are somehow connected to the source of our being that has already declared value over our lives. And I also think, in thinking about this, that prayer doesn't just remind us of who we are, but it also reminds us of who we are not. Which may be why prayer is uncomfortable, actually, for those of us who want to seem like we're everything to everyone. Practicing prayer, it is the continual search for a source that is outside of ourselves. It is our admission that we are not our own gods. That we are not in full control of our own lives that we are not our own makers and creators, and that we are forever people who are actually in deep need of God's love and grace and second chances. And the second question that is asked of Rabbi Akiva, what are you doing here? This is the question of purpose. What is the purpose of your life? Why do you exist here? What are the talents and gifts and graces that you have been given that are your responsibility to go out into the world and use them to make the world a better place? The late Reverend Eugene Peterson once said, a changed world begins with us, but a changed us begins when we pray. And I think part of what he is getting at is that prayer is never just a focus inward or outward. Prayer cannot be a substitute for action. It is the root out of which all of our actions grow. We cannot go out into the world and act toward others in love if we have not encountered and cultivated a spirit of love inside of us. Henry Nouwen says that the Christian life is not divided between prayer and action. It must be both at the same time. And prayer can happen in a variety of ways and activities that connect us to ourselves and to the world around us. And by connecting to ourselves, it should cause us to reflect on how we then go and live in the world. Sometimes prayer looks like speaking out loud, the prayers that the church has given us. But sometimes it means serving others. Sometimes we pray through art. Sometimes it's through running or exercise or in moments of silence that we take out of our day to just become aware that we're breathing or of the beauty of nature around us. There's all sorts of ways that we can pray that orient us to these two questions. Who am I? And what am I doing here? I believe that in this season of life, at this church that we are being called to become people who choose to pray. As a church, we are entering into a season where we are going to be discerning together the future that God has for us here at the church. We're going to be trying to figure out how God is moving in our community and in the world around us. And we're going to be asking deep questions about how we are called to be involved. But how do we do that? if we don't commit ourselves to asking these questions, who am I and what am I doing here, we can only really become who God is calling us to be, and we can only see where God is pointing us to go if we make the time and space in our lives to ask and then listen for the answer. And so I would like to begin this new year with each and every one of you by praying. By praying that we all might, in our own ways, become convinced of the call that God has put on each one of our lives. Your life has a purpose. You're supposed to be doing something exciting with it. So what is it? We're going to pray for wisdom and discernment to know what that call is. And to know how each one of our individual calls, they make a corporate call in this community to do an exciting work of transformation in the world. We're going to pray for open eyes and hearts to wherever God is moving and for the courage to move with it. So let us pray together. Gracious God, you have called us to be people of prayer. to be people who cultivate a deep, inner life so that we may have the wisdom and the clarity and the discernment to know what work of transformation is being done in the world and how we are being called to participate. God, help us to become people of love who know love and their own worth and our own value so deep in our bones. That when we go out into the world, we can see at a moment's notice the value and the worth of others around us. Gracious God, we ask that you would be with us in this season of discernment, that you would show each of us how we are being called to participate in your mighty work that is still happening in the world around us. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus the Christ and all God's people said together, Amen.